John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Let's begin reading together. I am the true vine, Jesus speaking, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. Wouldn't take very much for us to realize the first point of this morning is related to abiding. As we walk with Jesus, the power of our lives is exhibited or experienced as we abide in Christ. Now, in this day and time, Israel was known for their relationship with God, them being the people of God, called by God. All throughout the Old Testament, we've seen evidence of that. And the symbol in our day and time, probably that comes to mind before any other, is the actual Star of David. We think of that because all over Jewish literature, even on uh, the Jewish synagogues, we see these stars. But one that was uh, very common in this day and age, too, where people's minds and hearts would have gone when considering what symbols would be used for Israel, a vine was also utilized not long after Christ's uh, departure from this earth, resurrection, and then coming back, and then uh, now once again he will be coming back for us one day, is the vine, this picture of the vine was printed on their money and printed on the money of uh, those who were in Israel. And so these two symbols run together, but this concept of the vine, abiding in Christ, remaining in him, walking with him, for whatever reason, I believe is, is somewhat foreign uh, to us, especially in our culture. We are not an agricultural society, specifically where we live in Johnson County. You know, there are farms and there are uh, those who are invested there uh, with growing crops and having farms, but typically we live in an industry uh, world uh, where people work at buildings, come and go from their homes, their homes are in neighborhoods, uh, pull in the garage door, close the garage door. A lot of times there's not much interaction with neighbors. And it's somewhat of a closed, I guess, subset of our lives. We go to work, we exist in community, and then we go home and, and we disappear. And at times, because we're so tired, it's hard for us to engage, really engage those who are living next to us. That is radically different than 25 to 30 years ago. For those of you who are in your 40s and 50s, you remember when we were kids. We didn't have to worry about necessarily having our parents check on us every six minutes to find out where we were. The world has radically changed. I can remember third to eighth grade. Wake up in the morning in the summer, 7.30. Mom, I'm leaving. Where are you going? Oh, going to Neil's, maybe Jeff's, going to play baseball. Okay, have a good day. 
9 o'clock rolling up at the house at night, being gone for 13 hours, never contacting my parents, and they didn't worry. Now our kids walk down to get the mail out of the box, petrifying at points because of what's happening in our world. Life has radically changed. Life's radically changed from this day and age as well. So in considering the vine in the way that we are stay, to stay connected to Christ, abiding in him, living in relationship with him, the rhythms of our lives, being known by him as we know him, resting in, living in, being adjusted in. I would say it like this. You've probably seen TV shows or movies where uh, someone wants to play a practical joke on someone they're working with. And so they grab the stapler off their desk, put it inside of a jello mold, put it in the refrigerator, put the jello mold back on their desk. And so when they arrive in the morning or they go to the refrigerator, they see this, this stapler in the midst of this jello. For whatever reason, I think of cherry jello. I don't know why that is in my mind, but the stapler in the midst of that. When I consider abiding in Christ, I think of us being in the middle of jello. I am about three hours from vacation. My brain is already on the plane. I guess I'm a little hungry too. But that's what I think of, at least today, of this concept of abiding in Christ, that we are every part of us in the middle of, saturated with Christ. And our lives and our whole existence, as we flow out and as we build a relationship with people, it's obvious who we are and where we sit. Does that make sense? Probably not the best example, and you probably could have done better, but the idea of it is as we consider this vine and being a part of Christ, living in him, he tells us in these verses that if we are in him, there are branches that don't produce fruit. And so what does he do with those? He cuts them off. You've experienced this. People in our lives who don't bring us a driven closeness to Christ, maybe even a distraction, uh, possibly even beyond that, uh, where temptation seems to run with those individuals. And what at times does God do with those relationships? He cuts them off. Those relationships for what were known before possibly as closeness cease because God wants to take us somewhere else. There are times that he cuts off completely relationships. There are other times that he prunes us. Pruning a vine would be for us to go and trimming it to a point where it can produce even more growth and more fruit. There are times that in our lives God prunes us relationally, prunes us spiritually, where there are things or uh, these pillars that we have in our lives at times that we don't even recognize that may not specifically align with the word of God, and he'll show us something in his word and he'll prune us, he'll trim us, he'll, he'll challenge us, either in a reading or in studying the word itself. The Holy Spirit will speak to us and we'll realize, I've been on the wrong track here with this spiritually, with the way that the word speaks, with what it says. And God will prune those ideas or those concepts or the, the word itself penetrating our lives because God's speaking freely and we're hearing him that he takes us a different direction. So he, he prunes it, he changes it, he trims it, and as a result, we've got four new buds that come out of it. Spiritual growth is like that. At times when we expect it, at times when we don't. 
Have you had those seasons where it seems that the voice of God is distant? I mean, many of you have known the Lord for a long time. I surrendered my life at age 15, so I have known the Lord for 34 years. Before that, the previous 15, I was in church and I was in a position to be able to at least recognize who God was, people. But those times when it seems like we're doing all of the right things, spending time in God's word, diligent in prayer, sharing our faith, practicing the areas that he calls us to, the areas of disciplines, fasting, partaking at the Lord's Supper, being vested. And for whatever reason, weeks, months, it's as if even though we're doing the right things and we're placing ourselves in a position to be able to hear God, it seems that his voice goes silent. Some praying that God would move specifically, heal my grandma, heal my grandpa, my dad, mom, sister, brother. And God's plan is different. And you've had these conversations as well. And the individual, when God changes things or doesn't answer specifically like they're asking, and let's just be honest, a lot of us a lot of times pray the will of God. God, this is your will. You will save my grandma. As if we can dictate to God what he can do and what he can't. And so when he doesn't meet our expectation or what we say, or even in our time period, we get frustrated. And you've met folks like this. You didn't save my grandma. She died. And so, God, I'm done with you. And we see people walk away from the faith. Some with whom had known him, walked with him, served for a long period of time. And because God didn't specifically answer, or because there was a time, God, I continue to pour my life out and I can't hear you. Would you just speak? And with not being able to discern why that period of time is like that, we give up. Is it possible that God is taking that time period to prepare our hearts and our ears and our minds for something about us relationally with him, maybe even something about himself that he wants to show us? And unless there is a time period where we're not intensely hearing, we wouldn't be able to hear it the same. When I went to college at SBU, Southwest Baptist in Bolivar, transferring from Wichita State University, that first semester was like that for me. September through about November. I was doing the right things. I was in Bible classes. My devotions were rock solid. I was sharing my faith. I was doing everything I was supposed to do, wanted to do to hear God. And I am telling you, it was like I was deaf. Could not hear a word. And everything I was doing was right, but there was nothing. And the speaker came to our campus in one of our chapel services and began to talk about, in the midst of that, these time periods of silence. I hadn't talked to anybody. I didn't tell anyone, even my parents, of what I was walking through. And he, he shared in that message, is it possible that God is trying to reveal something in your life that were it not for this time, you wouldn't be able to hear or grasp or get? And then he started talking about a thing called besetting sins. 
familiar with besetting sins? Those are those areas of our lives or those sins that come back, haunt us, creep into our lives. Now, we can talk about addictions, so let's talk about alcoholism in the same way. Alcohol, for an alcoholic, is that type of temptation, drive, challenge, that if someone says, I'm, I'm going to be done with that, I'm an alcoholic, I'm going to go through the, the steps, I'm going, to, I'm going to take care of my life differently, when you're driving down the road, when you're walking with other friends, staying away from everything, doing everything you're supposed to do, all of a sudden, what happens? Something will come into your mind. Something comes into an alcoholic mind. I sure would like a beer. I sure did miss the bar environment. Okay, where does that come from? Well, the enemy. Now, alcoholism is not my issue, may not be yours, but there are some others. How about bitterness? You think that you're past it. Relationally with that individual, you're walking with Jesus. You're in the vine. You're embedded relationally with Christ, and you're doing great. And you're walking somewhere, and all of a sudden, it just pops in your brain. That person did this to me. Or that person did this to my family member. And we swirl the drain again in our minds and hearts and lives, focusing solely on the wrong that was done to someone we love or to ourselves. And that bitter seed grows up in us. And once we recognize it, if we don't take it captive in the immediate, once we recognize it, minutes, hours, days, months later, we come to our senses and realize there it is again. See, that's a besetting sin. Something that you think you conquered that you're past. Bitterness is the example. But Satan knows where we're weak. And he'll come in at a weak moment when we're not taking captive thoughts. And he'll bring that back into our mind. By the way, related to bitterness, then we'll move on. I think, I don't think, I know. We are in a spiritual battle. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. And so the enemy does what? He tries to sow discord in marriages, in families, kids and parents, relationships. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy our very lives. John 10.10. 10. And so for us to take every thought captive, to realize that that's what's happening, if we get pitted against someone, do we think in our minds from something that happened seven years ago that that person is crippled by the thought that we are? What do we do with ourselves in bitterness? We chain ourselves when the other person has no recollection or memory or anything else to do with it. And we stay buried in that pining away at the chance possibly to get back at him, hoping God gets back at him. Whatever the situation and story be, but God desires for us to what? To walk in freedom. So what are we called to do in that? To live in the vine, to exist in the vine. When those things come into our minds, to take them captive and to flush them out. Now maybe bitterness is not your besetting sin. Maybe it's something else. But in that period of time in my life when God was showing me when I was in college... Here is something that you wrestle with, that you are going to wrestle with, and that I can overcome because I'm the overcomer. In our weakness, he is made strong, that I will have victory of this in your life. 
then we see the evidence of his hand working, bearing fruit, producing fruit, calling for us, even in the midst of that, if we're followers of Jesus, to continue to live in him, whether he answers us or not, whether we readily hear his voice or not. There are times in our lives when he possibly will go deaf just to see if we'll continue. How do you think Job felt? What about Jonah running away from God? What about us? We are already clean, verse 3, because of the word I have spoken to you. So in our lives relationally, as God transforms us from the inside out, we are to be drawn closer to him like the stapler and the jello. Abide in me, verse 4, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless the He abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me, resting in, settled in, enveloped by. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. If we abide in him, we will bear fruit. So not only does Jesus give us the power in our lives as we abide in him, he also produces in us fruit. Fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5, to 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Again, such things there is no law. So when we abide in Christ, the natural fragrance of our lives, what pours out are the fruits of the Spirit. Now, I've yet to meet anyone who is great in all nine. And we flow kind of in between. Sometimes we're stronger in love, sometimes in patience times in peace, Jesus being the fulfillment of all, nine, working and weaving that into our lives. If we are abiding in him, walking with him, living in him, then for the most part, our fragrance should be that, bearing fruit. So we walk into Target, walk up to the register, got our 17 items on the conveyor belt, and there's the little 17-year-old working. Not little, sorry. Big 17-year-old working. Brand new job, brand new person. Scans the first item. Everything looks good. Item number two, fine. Number three, fine. Number four, whoops, scanned it twice. Panic. I don't know what to do. You can see it all over their face. Uh, let's push that button. We're in a hurry. You're making me late. And I'm talking about followers of Jesus. And so instead of the fragrance, the fruit of the Spirit pouring out of our lives, what happens? 